Colin Tribune, Thursday 13th of February 2020. Historic day in Irish politics, Chucky Arlou. Sunday the 8th of February and the election to the 33rd Doyle will go down as a historic day in Irish political life. It is just as much as the 1918 election and the setting up of the first Doyle. While the state election proved the beginning of the end for British rule and the Irish party imploded, leaving Sinn Féin as a major political group in Irish society and the new government after independence. So in 2020, the astonishing Sinn Féin surge blew away the two dominant right-wing political parties for, for the past 100 years and set in place a realignment in Irish political life which will reshape the modern republic. The votes have been cast and the die is set. Sinn Féin in 24.5%, Fianna Fáil 22.2%, Van Gael 20.9, others 15.4, Green Party 7.7, Labour 4.4, Social Democrats 2.9, SPBP 2.6. For the first time ever, the left to centre parties have a chance of taking power at the expense of the virtual right wing coalition, which has controlled Irish life for a century. But now we wait as tough negotiations take place between the parties. These will be long and tedious. Who will jump into bed with whom? We might be waiting for a few weeks or months until the white smoke rises from Leinster House. Can the parties of the left modify Marxist-Leninist theory and ruin behind Sinn Féin to change society? Will Fianna Fáil and Michal Martin bite the bullet and join their cousins the Shinners to get rid of the blue shirts? On Sunday as a right, this, there are signs that Michal Martin suddenly developed early dementia regarding his previous thoughts on the Sinn Féin's Army Council, an abnormal political party. The lure of becoming Taoiseach rather than the only Fianna Fáil leader never to be has a bubolic feel to it. Leo and Finn Gael apparently aren't prepared to throw a century of history into the preferable bin of animosity and reach agreement with Mary Lou. They're not compatible with Sinn Féin. Will the Shinners share power with either of the right-wing parties in a bid to be in government for the first time since the second Doyle? Could Fianna Fáil and Finn Gael take the historic decision to join together to keep the Shinners out? It's going to be a fascinating few weeks and regardless of who you voted for, it will make for a higher interest in political life than ever before. But on a local level, there's no doubt that Donegal is a Republican Sinn Féin stronghold now. Pierce and Parig have romped home and like many other constituencies had a surplus that would have taken another seat. When I first arrived in Terman in the late 70s there was a minuscule Sinn Féin vote. Pat Doherty would get about 300 votes but the Blaney vote was massive and I suppose the Republican vote in essence. Finn Gael and Fianna, Fianna Fáil would be guaranteed two seats. That was the status quo since partition. Throughout the Republic there were similar patterns. As we know, the two sides of the Civil War controlled Irish political life for a century. If we look back at Irish history and elections since, say, let's say the 1850s post-famine, it was still far removed from the modern concept of democracy that we know so well. Since the Act of Union in 1801, we voted, well, a small privileged minority did, as part of the UK. Daniel O'Connell's Catholic Emancipation and later Repeal Campaign brought many changes, but Irish MPs were a small minority in the House of Commons. And while an irritant to the British government, they were toothless. 
Because of the nature of politics, the landlord system, the small franchise available, politics were in the hands of an elite political class, businessmen and landlords. The reality was that ordinary people had no say in political life. So indifferent were politicians to life in Ireland that if you read records, the famine was almost ignored by that class. Apre famine and Irish Independent Party took 40 seats, but in the following election were almost wiped out. By the 1880s, things were changing. The electoral franchise was extended to include a much larger percentage of the population. The Land League campaign had created a crossover between constitutional nationalism and physical force republicanism. And then Home Rule took centre stage, with Charles Stuart Parnell becoming the major player in Irish politics. The National League provided a major organisational direction for politics, really the start of political parties as we know them today. In the UK as a whole, it was a contest between the Tories and Liberals. We were still a few decades before the founding of the Labour Party. Prime Minister Gladstone would woo the Irish Party with a commitment to Home Rule in return for their support against the Tories. The Irish Party won 85 seats in the 1885 election, but the seeds of eventual partition were been sown as the strength of unionism held up in Ulster. There was also the polarisation of the different religious community and becoming more aligned with unionism and nationalism. While this had been commonplace since plantation, the roots of partition can clearly be seen now. And maybe when you see the recognition of de facto partition by the southern Sinn Féin leadership at the time of the treaty, it makes interesting thinking as regards the civil war and future events. By 1900, the Irish party was in third position in the UK in Irish politics. They'd been through a period of turmoil as the Parnell dalliance with Kitty O'Shea brought his downfall. But after the usual Irish split, they were reunited again and a powerful force for home rule under John Redmond. In the 1910 election, the Irish party were in a great position vis-a-vis home rule, not unlike the DUP recently. Their support for Gladstone would, they hope, deliver the third home rule bill. But war clouds loomed thwarted all that. So we arrive at 1918, April Easter week in World War I. The election rocked Irish and British society. The Irish party were wiped out, holding only six seats. Unionists took 26 in Ulster, but the newly reinvigorated Sinn Féin romped home with 73 seats and established the first oil. So how did we get to where we are today? Two political parties who have dominated politics in the 26 counties since independence. In the election of 1921, at the time of the ceasefire, and after the War of Independence, Sinn Féin returned unopposed all candidates, 124 minus the DCU seats. The unity of the revolutionary and military sides of republicanism was admirable, but by the same time, in 22, cracks were appearing after the treaty discussions in London. The British had one final blow to make an Irish soil. They divided the revolutionary movement for all time. The 22 election, the pact, was controversial as other parties entered the field, but Sinn Féin still won 94, with the treaty side taking double the seats of the anti-treaty in uncontested constituencies. This led to a vote in the Doyle to accept or reject the treaty, with the results being 64 to 57 in favour. Three abstained, so four votes created the Irish political system as we have known it for the past century. 
A bit like the Brexit vote, almost 50-50, yet the country was thrown into the turmoil of civil war, driven by those who became known as the Free Staters, under guidance, direction and military support from the former mutual enemy of the British. Four miserable votes heralded a horrific civil war, but a reality from the period was that both sides coexisted, gave second preference to each other in that election. An interesting analogy for those who suggest Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael should join together in the modern era. Without going into the finer details of Brother killing Brother, it was difficult for those former Republicans who fought the War of Independence together. Once talking to Mary Comerford, who had fought in the anti-treaty, said, she told me it was heartbreaking and she understood it better than most. She held Cahill Brewer's hand as he died after the fall of the four courts near the Gresham. But the treaty like Brexit could never be accepted by true Republicans who wouldn't swear allegiance to a British monarch, not unlike modern Scottish or six-county nationalists who refused to accept Brexit. The first election for the new Free State Doyle succumbing the Gale, the treaty party of Collins, Griffith, Sean Hales and O'Higgins win 63 seats to 44 for Sinn Féin. Ironically, the four TDs were dead within four years. The anti-treaty TDs were mostly in jail, on the run or in America. They would refuse to take their seats anyway in the partition doyle. Coming to Gale stayed in power for almost the first decade of the new state. The big turning point came when Sinn Féin split again in 26, and Dev founded Fianna Fáil after frustration with the establishment policy. Being a pragmatic career politician, he would remind you of Pater Tobin. He entered the Doyle in 27 using a convoluted formula to bypass the oath. Apparently Fianna Fáil TDs were humming Bola Vogue as they loosely caressed the Bible during a farcical ceremony to a foreign monarch. The 20s, the 20s were a difficult time for anti-treaty Republicans. A defeated and demoralized army, thousands in jail and as many emigrated to the US. Demonized, discriminated against in the civil service, politically bankrupt as they were sidelined by refusing to take their seats in the Doyle. Dave's far-sighted move to work the system from within led to a massive victory in the 32 election, where democracy was confirmed as the only country where a defeated side in the civil war took part peacefully within a decade. They were momentous times. Dev used the IRA structure to help, help the ranks of Fianna Fáil flourish. They took the majority of Republicans with them, leaving a Sinn Féin rump which struggled for the next 50 years. Fianna Fáil won the 32 election with 72 seats to 57 for Cumna Gael. They would be the biggest party in the Doyle for the next 80 years and in government for 60. The 1937 election was all about a new constitution, but Fianna Fáil held on to power despite losing seats. Cumna Gael had formed into Fine Gael after their flirtation with the Blue Shirts, latent fascism and the Spanish Civil War. The name change apparently, the name change apparently didn't appeal to the public. Fianna Fáil won with double seats, 67 to 32. Despite the war years or emergency as the Irish euphemism termed it, there was a realism that the Republican dream was the definition of the Irish persona. It appeared at that stage the anti-treaty side of the Civil War represented our political and cultural psyche. After one World War II, Fianna Fáil were dumped out of power on two separate occasions for three years, 48 to 51 and 54 to 57, 
by a Fin Gael clan Republic of Government led by John Costello as Richard Mulcahy wasn't acceptable to Sean McBride after his role in the Civil War. The reality was that Fianna Fáil held power from 32 until 82 except for 10 years. The Legion of the Rearguard essentially was the party of the people. Gareth Fitzgerald then took power for five years from 82 to 87 before the Charlie Hawhey, Albert Reynolds era. Followed by Finn Gale, John Bruton and Labour for another five year period for Finn Gale before we arrived at the Bertie era and the Celtic Tiger. Speculators, developers, bankers, Galway tent and white collar gangsters of every description. We were in Celtic Tiger time and we thought Charlie Howe was bad with the Charvet shirts but there was nothing to compare to this financial extravaganza. Fingers Fingleton, Shawnee Fitz, the Quins, Brian and Mary Pat O'Donnell, Christmas shopping in Macy's, First Communion by helicopter, 21st in Marbella, skiing in the Alps, Diane Van Furstenberg dresses for your Debs, the obscene wealth of those D4 parasites, Trinity educated and regular visitors to the Galway tent, no shawl for these girls. Russell Carl Kelly had been off to a, has them off to a tea, or Cynthia and Henry commuting on the dark. Fianna Fáil oversaw the den of iniquity of obscene spending by the rich, and then when it went pear-shaped, surprise, surprise, miraculously they didn't have to pay it back. Like the ad for the lotto, you've won an island for Ireland, what will you do? Ah, sure, it'll be okay. You could buy a three million pad in Shrewsbury Road, but just topping a Michael O'Leary 25 euro flight to London and declare yourself bankrupt, stay for three years like Ivan Yates, and sure it'll be okay. If you're an OAP in a demountable dwelling and owed 90 in rent, they would evict you as they tried to do in Donegal 30 years ago, at the whim of a former senator who received grants and planning permission for the same hotel on both sides of the border. It beggars belief. So the tiger-pampered kids stopped prowling and copper-faced jacks. The people finally seen through the golden circle and Fianna Fáil took the biggest hammering since the Civil War, losing 50% of first preference and 51 seats in the Doyle. And while a whirlwind surge didn't bring Sam to Mayo, and Kenny brought Finn Gale to a political heaven with the most seats in their history, a whopping 76. It also saw the re-emergence of Sinn Féin under the charismatic leadership of Gerry Adams, who, contrary to popular opinion, was never in the Galway tent. The rise of a viable alternative to the two main parties was becoming clear, as a new young generation seen through the politics of Tweedledum and Tweedledee. That brought us to 2016 and the new kid in the block, Leo, continued what seemed like an irreversible trend for Finn Gael to dominate politics in the foreseeable future. The tiger wasn't back, but the leopard was purring. The cranes were back over Dublin city centre and we were centre stage in the Brexit debate. As the EU backed us to the hilt, the economy was good, but there was something essentially wrong. How can we be such a wonderful example of a modern European Republic when our HSE isn't fit for purpose, the streets are crawling with homelessness, the drug barons appear to operate with impunity from their villas in Alicante. Housing and rents are driving our young people away. There has to be something wrong with a system that accepts that and continues on its merry way. So the election of 2020 has thrown up tremendous possibilities for change. 
It's in the air, the old cliche, you can't kid the kids, is a palpable evidence of new thinking on our electorate of well-educated young professionals. They clearly understand politics better than the old political dinosaur whose day is run. As Abraham Lincoln once said, you can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. Channel Tribune, 21st, 20th of February, 2020. James Connolly's agenda is more relevant than ever. Waged between Storm Kira and Dennis, there was no dispute in the storm which caused the greatest effect last week. Storm Mary Lou. It was an unprecedented whirlwind, a tsunami of sorts. The polls had been predicted that a change was coming, but no one could have predicted the Shinners were going to be the story of election 2020. In fact, it was almost as unpredictable as Liverpool winning the league in January, or Philip Schofield announcing he was gay in morning TV. But just as sure as Storm Kira hurtled through term and fanned in Guidor, so did Pierce Doherty and Podrick McLaughlin with 46% of the vote in Donegal. Maria Farrell topped the poll in Galway, David up the Ra, Cullinan, Lakeways and Waterford, Matt Carty in Monaghan, Pa Daly and Kerry, Martin Kenny in Sligo, Rose Conway Walsh in Mayo, Desi Ellis in Dublin, Rita Cronin in Kildare. Over half a million votes throughout the Republic, 37 TDs from 42 candidates, and add in 300,000 votes in the six counties in the election before Christmas and you have a massive political mandate for republicanism, 700,000. More than twice as many votes as Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil who as partitionist parties refused to engage with the electorate in the north. The general election has also brought a new awakening towards Irish unity. It's a real kick in the Leroy for those political parties who see Ireland as the 26 counties. 5,000 500,000 votes for the Republican project in the Republic, almost 300,000 in the North, a Republican nationalist majority within the next decade, a majority of school-going children from a nationalist background, a majority of third-level students from nationalist areas. There's no other way to look at these stats. We are facing a unity referendum within a decade, and as the recent election results show, a massive majority will vote for unity in both the two partitionist states. Did anyone see this election result coming? For a century, the two parties of the Civil War held sway. It was a unique situation. Both parties evolved from the remnants of the victorious Treaty IRA and the defeated anti-Treaty IRA. And while the majority of volunteers who fought in the War of Independence and Civil War were working class city kids and small farmers' sons. The elite political class who controlled both sides of the debate were to take power and shape it in the nature of their class. 
Both parties were centre-right parties with an agenda which catered for a section of society initially in the Free State and then the Republic, which represented the growing Catholic middle class, business interests and the Church. In effect, the new Free State was created through the efforts of working-class volunteers and represented a revolutionary socialist approach became a mirror image of the British state which is left behind. If you research into the background of the sort of people who led the first free state government, W.T. Cosgrave, Kevin O'Higgins and others, you'll find a certain class of people who wouldn't know what James Connolly was talking about and certainly had no intention of implementing his idea of a workers' republic. And the 2020 version of the same crowd would have difficulty knowing who James Connolly was. Connolly talked about scheming landlords, exorbitant rents, lack of housing, homelessness, inadequate health service. He was a man ahead of his time, and while he may have come a long way, we may have come a long way, he could have been talking about society today. We went into the election with all the above issues to the forefront. While we have a wonderful economy, culture and tradition, there's something clearly wrong when a lack of hospital beds, old grannies and trolleys and a lack of social housing and homelessness are still top of the agenda in 2020. When we booted the British out a century ago, the plan was to set up a republic we could be proud of. To paraphrase the proclamation, cherish all the citizens equally. The British British class system was to be ended, yet in 2020 we have an elite in D4 run the show. You would think after they were exposed at the collapse of the Tiger, they would be ashamed to show their faces ever again, but now they're back as brazen as ever, flaunting their wealth. It would make you cringe. These parasites sipping their Bollinger in the Westbury as their wonderful wives throw dinner parties to even more disgusting friends in Kalani. So we arrive in February 2020, just over 101 years since the last Saturday election and the last British election in the 26 counties at least. Nearly 104 years since Easter week, the horror of World War I was finally over a month previously. Like Belfast in early summer 70, the British probably thought things were returning to normal. British officers were possibly thinking of returning to Ferry House for the races, as they did that Easter morning when Connolly led the Citizens' Army into the GPO. On the streets around Dublin, the second city of the Empire, there were parades to welcome home those who survived the Somme. Union Jacks were flying around Trinity and the graduates were celebrating the great victory in Europe. But things were gradually changing. In the last year of the war, to end all wars, conscription was defeated. The poor, du- poor, poor dupes who fought for a foreign country came home to mass unemployment and in electoral politics, something was stirring. Count Plunkett and Roscommon North, Joe McGuinness in South Longford, W.T. Cosgrave and Kilkenny North, Dev and East Clare, all won by-elections in 1917, followed by Arthur Griffith and Cavan East and Patrick McCartan in Kings County in 1918, similar to Sinn Féin's Mark Ward in Dublin Midwest last November. The warning signs should have been there for the establishment, political parties but they went into the 2020 election with a confidence exuding which spurred and crashed hubris. Similarly, the IPP in 1918, the results in both elections rocked the status quo. Sinn Féin took 73 seats in 1918, whereas the modern Sinn Féin took 37 and the largest first preference vote. 
with the establishment was rocked in 1918 and Sinn Féin refused to recognise British rule and set up the first Doyle. In 2020, a resurgent Sinn Féin of course recognised the 33rd Doyle, but as an All-Ireland party, they don't recognise the right of the British to legislate in any part of the country. And within the term of the Doyle, they will either be in government or the opposition benches, advocate and strongly push for a border referendum in Irish unity. That's the main difference between Sinn Féin and the others. The two big parties are Britishness and long ago settled for a 26-county Irish Republic and didn't give two hoots how nationalists feared in a partition sectarian statelet. And it's so ironic as both parties claim Irish unity as their aim, yet not one of them has ever stood an election in the six counties. And when they were needed most, Fianna Fáil stood idly by as Belfast burned in 1969. The opinion polls had forecast that the Shinners were neck and neck with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Each poll showed similar results, but there was always a but. In previous elections, the polls had indicated a Sinn Féin surge, which didn't materialise, but this time they were spot on, if actually a little underestimated. Sinn Féin robbed home in 24.5%, topping the poll in 10 constituencies, and having a surplus of votes so overwhelming that if fielding extra candidates, they would have hit 50 seats and formed a new dispensation never witnessed in the Republic previously. A left to centre government, not surprisingly in our Conservative state, a century after independence, we're the only European country which has continuously had right of centre governments. But change is coming. Fianna Fáil had overseen the Tiger collapse and Finn Gael, the rise of homelessness, housing crisis and 24 hours on trolleys and A&E. Yet as Christy Moore would sing, the owner says he's sad to these things got so bad, but the captains of industry won't let him lose. He'll still drive a car and smoke his cigar, take his family on a cruise. He'll never, never lose. Sinn Féin, led by Mary Lou, with progressive socialist Republican objectives, appealed to an electorate which had enough. They voted in their droves, 530,000 first-time voters, OAPs, rural and townies, Dublin and Cork, Galway and Limerick. Candidates topped the polls, outvoting Taoiseach, Leo, Simon and Charlie Flanagan, wannabe Taoiseach Michael Martin, Timmy Dooley and Lisa Chambers, who didn't press enough buttons on the dial. So how did it come about? Who are the new guys in the black owner of Bren Louise O'Reilly and of course Pierce Doherty? All potential government ministers in the 33rd Doyle, unless the dream team of blue shirts and the soldiers of destiny suddenly find a social conscience and start building houses like they couldn't do before. Or suddenly realise it's not okay to throw your granny off the bus before the free pass at 68, or more likely the A&E trolley. Maybe even find hospital beds for a population that's increasing and living longer and consider co-locating the public and private hospitals in the one site, which have managed correctly would have positive outcomes in healthcare. So who has led the newfound confidence in the Republican left? A third cousin from the fallout of the Civil War, the runt and the litter, those who stayed true to the ideals of Connolly, Liam Mellows, Pat O'Donnell and Frank Ryan. Physical force Republicanism morphed into constitutional political life, as they all did back in the day, but now of political dementia regarding their foundation. The name in everyone's lips last week, our pre-election, was 
that Munanum's epit had bestowed on only a few, just known by the first name, e.g. Enya, Bertie, Michelangelo. And so the name in Sky News, CNN and Al Jazeera, even while it stuck in their throats, RTE, was Mary Lou. The new leader of Sinn Féin, following in the footsteps of Arthur Griffith, Dev, Thomas McCartan, Thomas McGilla, Rory O'Brady and Jerry Adams. She had big boots to fill. Adams, an iconic leader, brought republicanism squealing and kicking into the modern era to the party it is today. In government in the six counties and in virtual touch and distance of power in the Republic. I knew Jerry, or maybe let's say our paths cross back in the day. We went to the same secondary school, St Mary's Grammar, both worked in Belfast pubs. After school, we, we met on the night of the Falls curfew and shared a bunk on the prison ship Maidstone in Belfast, Lockers and Tyrannies. We were also in adjacent cages in Long Cash during the 70s. I must say I can confirm he was in all those places, whether he was in anything else is pure conjecture. Mary Lou, I can also say, wasn't on the Maidstone or in the Cache, but she's taken the Republican mantle to a new level in 2020. A graduate with an MA in European Studies, a native of Rathgar, she attended Fee-Pain Notre Dame missions and then went to Trinity, as you do in that privileged part of D4. A political career in Fianna Fáil loomed, but midstream the fair maiden made the transition to Sinn Féin. Her Republican granny may have influenced her. Mary Lou made the transition from Fianna Fáil to Sinn Féin seamlessly. It happens in politics. My good friend Michael Vasher McBride moved from his spiritual home in Fianna Fáil to Labour and then became the independent type of guy he is today. Mary Lou speedily claimed the ranks in Sinn Féin and although at times it wouldn't be considered a great career move, it has positively proved to be a stroke of genius. A decade later she's president of the largest political party in Ireland and if politics are the art of the possible, whether that happens, of course, depends not on the will of the people who have already spoken, but on the two parties who are running shit scared of the shinners. Fianna Fáil, because they know their base could transfer the, the latent Republican votes to them, and the shinners could eat them up like they did the SLP in the six counties. Fin Gael, because they espouse an anti-Republican agenda stemming from their history and their right-wing philosophy, as at variance with what the electorate voted for. Mary Lou has decisions to make, although it may be taken out of her hands. If she's shafted by the right-wing parties of the Civil War, it could be a blessing in disguise. She can become the Joan of Arc of Irish politics, take leadership of the left, the people of no property, take on the challenge in the Doyle to expose the wheeling and dealing that goes on within the Golden Circle. And she can lead representing those that would deny the voice of the people. She could then come back in 2025 or sooner if the right-wing coalition implodes and bring a Sinn Féin-led left into power for the first time. The last European country to embrace a left-of-centre government. It's a, it's a challenge, but if anyone is up to it, it's Mary Lou.